Just in way of encouragement for you, Ruth and I had the opportunity to visit two different churches while we were on vacation. And when I visit a church, I just kind of play dumb. When I say play dumb, no, I'm a visitor. And no, I'm not there. I see how people greet me. I don't necessarily walk up to everyone else under the sun and say, hello, how are you? And I just observe. And I guess being a pastor, I observe. So a couple of things I would encourage you to do. Just be friendly, greet people, care for people, whether they come regularly or they come, you know, uh, occasionally or just visitors. We attended the church that we get married in, the building we get married in. Uh, Ruth Ann didn't attend there. It was her grandfather's church. And I was just surprised how many people came up and talked to us and, you know, greeted us and so on. And then went to mom, where mom goes to church. A lot of people don't know me anymore. But also encourage you to be attentive listeners. You know, that does a lot to someone who speaks. Jim Howe may have told you, I'm not sure. He spoke last two weeks. He said, I love coming to Roaring Brook. He said, people listen. <laughs> and uh, I said that in way of encouragement you know, to you. Also observe how much time are people devote to prayer you know, in their services. You know, just how they interact with their pastor, how their pastor interacts with them. But I'm encouraged by the fact that I'm a part of Roaring Brook Baptist Church. So thank you for being who you are. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Christ and all that we have in him. As we interact with your word, Father, we want to be attentive hearers. And not only hearers, but doers for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. John and Butch are talking after work. John shares the following with Butch. I noticed that you were not up to date on many of the TV programs that the guys talk about and that you take a lot of criticism for not watching trash on TV. Why don't you watch it? How can you be gentle in your responses to them? Amy and Beth are talking between classes at school. Beth comments to Amy that she has noticed that she, Amy, has a different mindset about sexuality. Beth shares that the girls at school talk about this guy and that guy and sex before marriage being okay. There are times when Amy has been strongly criticized for her gently stating her beliefs concerning sexuality and desiring to be a virgin until she is married. Beth then asked Amy, will you tell me why you have such views? What makes you different? Why can you be gentle in your responses when criticized? Joyce and Sally are neighbors. Joyce is a believer, but her husband, Joe, is not a believer. At times, he can be quite cruel and difficult in responding to Joyce. Sally has seen Joyce being treated cruelly. One day, Sally says to Joyce, How can you submit to Joe with such a gentle and quiet spirit? Real-life situations... Peter, in chapter 3, will be looking at that passage in a few moments. 
addresses situations like that. He is writing to a church who is going through persecution, who is going through difficulty for their faith, explaining to them how to live in a hostile culture when there is not a favoritism towards Christianity. And he talks about things in daily life. He begins his letter with a strong emphasis on the gospel of Christ. You have a hope, you have an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away. And then he just talks about daily life. You know, renewing your mind, being prepared for action. Talks about the greatness of Christ's sacrifice. Talks about submitting to authority, governmental authority, submitting to one's master. A wife, the way she responds to her husband, the way a husband responds to his wife, and so on. And then I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to chapter 3 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin with verse 13. And realizing that we do not necessarily live in a hostile culture today as much as the people to whom Peter was writing, but our culture is becoming more hostile. Some of you live in somewhat of a hostile culture, maybe at home. Maybe school, everything is not what you might desire or on a job. I don't think any of us are going to be taken out and burned at the stake tonight because of our faith in Christ. But we may face some difficulty. We want to understand the passage and then how to respond. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep in a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And going back to verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? The answer has already been given in the context. No one, because if someone harms you for doing good, God's going to use that for good, for profit. But he also gives the answer in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. He's writing to persecuted people, those who are facing difficulty because of their faith. And he says, if someone harms you for doing good, keep in mind that you're blessed. So one of the people to whom Peter is writing got together with the body the following Sunday and said, I was really blessed this week. And the rest of the body says, how were you blessed? Well, my property was confiscated. I'm now homeless. And the reason that happened is because of my faith in Christ. I've been blessed. Peter goes on, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. That is, do not fear those who persecute you, those who are unbelievers. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. What do those people fear? What do unbelievers fear? What do those who are persecuting these people fear? Death. 
physical pain. They fear loss of possessions. They fear admitting they're wrong. They would have feared jail along with other items. And Peter says, don't fear what they fear. Now think about that in our culture today. People tend to fear rejection. So there's a temptation on our part to step back many times and not to speak of Christ or stand up for that which may be right. And Peter says, don't fear that. You face rejection, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. And in verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. In your heart set apart Christ as your master, your Lord, you follow him no matter what happens. And even for these believers, it could have involved death. Set apart Christ as Lord so that you follow him, even if it means death, if it means rejection, if it means suffering, if it means confiscation of property. He goes on. In the middle of verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. The reason for the hope that you have. He's assuming. That these people are going to go through difficulty. And they're going to be asked something. Be prepared to give an answer. If you're going to give an answer. Someone's asking something. So he says, be prepared to give an answer. Be able to explain yourself against a charge. There's a charge being made. And he explains that. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. That is, there's a hope. Therefore, the people are saying, why don't you fear what I fear? So picture one of the believers that Peter is writing to, standing before the executioner. They're going to lose their head. And the person is standing there with great joy that, you know, I get to kill this believer. And the believer has a confidence, a peace, a calm about them. And finally, the executioner says, how can you be so calm at a time like this? And the believer says, I have a hope. When my head's gone, I'm promoted to glory to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may take my life but you're actually promoting me. Be ready to give a reason of the hope. He's addressing real life situations that the believers to whom Peter is writing would be facing. And I think there's application to what we would face today also. The charge is you have a hope. Can you tell me why? In our world today, we fear pain. 
relational pain, physical pain, financial pain. The way we respond to that will open a door for someone to ask a question. So you go to a doctor and the doctor gives you the death sentence more or less. Says you're terminally ill. And the doctor wants to take a little time to talk to you and just ask you, how are you doing? And you say, I'm doing fine. The doctor says, how can you be doing fine when I just gave you the bad news? I expect death is coming sooner or later. I will go to be with the Lord. It's not that I want to die. I will go to be with the Lord. The situation I shared of two women talking, one asking the other, how can you respond to your husband the way you do when he is so cruel and mean? That's asking of the reason of the hope that one has. You go to your job and the boss says, you've got to do this. And you, you say to the boss, I can't do it because uh, it's contrary to what Jesus says. You do it. I can't. Then you're done. Then I'm done. And the boss says, you seem to be taking this in stride. I am. Because my hope is not here. My hope is elsewhere. That's where Peter is coming from. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. They're asking. There's a willing, receptive audience. Because they were seeing how the people live. And in light of the previous context, it may have been how they responded to civil authority. In chapter 2, how a slave responded to a master, how a wife responded to her husband, how a husband responded to his wife, how they chose to rid themselves of evil. But someone is asking, an unbeliever is asking the believer, can you give me an answer? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you respond the way you do? He says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you of that hope. The hope goes back to chapter 1 and verse 3. Well, yeah, in mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So here we have people who are obeying civil authority even though that civil authority is killing some in their family. So this week, we'll go back to Peter's time. Chip is going to We burn at the stake.
And a couple of days later, Eunice is talking to Vera, and Eunice says, Vera, aren't you really angry and bitter at the government? And Vera says, no, I'm to submit to those in authority over me. I can't speak ill of those in authority over me because God says I'm to submit to them. And Eunice will say she's a non-believer at the moment, says, have you gone crazy? No, I'm not going crazy. I have a hope. Chip got promoted. He beat me there. I miss him, but I have an inheritance in heaven. That's what I'm anticipating. That's where Peter is coming from. People, unbelievers, those who are persecuting would ask. And he says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope. So what it looks like here is questions concerning life. Are being asked because of someone setting apart Christ and Christ as Lord, living out their faith. So questions are asked. It's not the believer trying to push Christ and someone else. It's the unbeliever asking. There's a receptive audience. Because they have observed, I guess what I would call normal faith, maybe some of us would consider it radical, that does not fear what the unbeliever fears, what the persecutor may fear. Now let's think about that in terms of living in the U.S. and our daily life. Think about your job. Think about your neighbor. Think about your mate. Think about a fellow student. Those that may be unbelievers, are we living in a way, in obedience to Christ, that raises questions? Not looking for an answer, that's just a thought question. Now let's take that a little further. Are our children and grandchildren asking us questions because of the way we live? Peter's talking about a receptive audience. Because they're asking the question because they want an answer because they've observed a lifestyle. I won't mention a name, but one of you said in here this morning, I've been asked a number of times over the years, how can that person respond the way they do, living with the people that they live with? I'm getting asked because of someone else's life, and I, I simply say, God's being very gracious. God's worked in their life. They've come to faith in Christ. And they're living and sensitive to him in a tough situation. Stop and think about life. 
that someone may share a problem with you. It may be because they have observed your life. And they say, I got this situation at home. What do you think I should do? That's not persecution, but observing your life. A child saying, Dad, Mom, why don't we go to that place? Why don't you let us watch this TV program? Why don't you let us play that computer game? See, that's a receptive audience. And that's what Peter is talking about in the context. The immediate context seems to be a fair amount of persecution, but I think as you look at Colossians, you look at First Thessalonians, as we live and people raise questions, I think we have a prime opportunity. I think most of us know that something happened in France. A German soccer game was canceled because of a potential bombing and so on. You'll find some people in our country are somewhat worried about what's coming for the U.S. Do we live with the confidence that God is sovereign And if persecution comes to our country and there are people killed because of terrorists, people come and say, Hey, Jim, you don't seem to be overly alarmed about what's happening. Why? What's going on? What if that was you? What if that was someone in your family? We're not persecuted in a strong way. But the way we live can open doors to share with others. And Peter goes on then. He says in giving an answer in the middle of verse 15, or at the end of verse 15, but do this with gentleness and respect. Think about that in the immediate context the people to whom Peter is writing, someone's property has been confiscated. Someone comes to confiscate their property. And I don't know about you, and it's because of your faith. I think most of us would be tempted to respond in a way that's not so gentle. (laughs) I'll show you. And so on. But he says do it with gentleness. The idea of gentleness is an attitude which accepts all dealings from others. Unbelievers, pagans, those persecuting as being useful and profitable. Peter's saying a mouthful. Now, I'm using an extreme example here. We don't face it in our country, but other countries presently are. But if they came to Alan and Peggy's house and said, Alan and Peggy, You're Christians. Will you deny Christ? And they say, no, Christ is our Lord. Well, then we're going to take Hayden. And we're going to torture him with you watching. And Hayden says, mom and dad, 
don't deny Christ as Lord. Rather, Peter is saying, respond with gentleness. An attitude that accepts the circumstance as being something profitable. For you who are parents and grandparents, you are faced and bombarded with many times. Why? Why do we do this? Why can't we do that? Why, why, why? Do you see them as good questions? Accepting them with gentleness as an opportunity to explain your faith. So I was a teenager and I said to dad, he told me, he said, tonight you're going to go out with a guy. You better be careful, don't do it. And I found it interesting. We went to mom's church. A guy there said, do you remember so-and-so? We were kids. He said he wasn't a very good guy. Well, just interesting. But my dad said, you better be careful. You'll get in trouble if you go with this guy. My question was, why, dad? Now, dad could have said, just because I said so, or he rather responded with gentleness. You know, this guy has a record of getting into trouble. I'm your father. I'm concerned. I need to teach you. Doing it with gentleness. And Peter also says with respect. The idea is astonishment, amazement. And as you read the text, I ask myself, what astonishment or amazement is Peter talking about? And the flow of the passage seems to be that one is astonished that they have the privilege of suffering for Christ and suffering like Christ did. The passage coming from the context in which the believers to whom Peter is writing, the idea would be this. Tom is being tied to the post. There's wood underneath. And Tom's already been told, we're burning you because of your faith in Christ. We don't want this good news about Jesus to go any further. Do you have any last words you would like to say? And Tom says, I'm thankful that I have the privilege of dying Suffering for Christ. I'm participating in his sufferings. I'm blessed. That's the idea of respect. I'm suffering as Christ suffered. And he says in answering, respond with gentleness and respect. So that those who speak maliciously maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Again, we do not face persecution in our country as they did 
in the time Peter is writing. There are parts of the world that do face that persecution today. I've read of cases within the last year where the very thing I described with Peggy and Alan and Hayden took place. If you will not deny your faith, then I'm going to torture your child in front of you. And a child saying, Dad and Mom, don't deny Christ. Bringing that over to the culture in which we live. Living out our faith and how we relate to civil authority. How we relate on the job. How we relate to our husband or wife. How we relate to our children. How we relate to our parent. How we relate to our government. And letting that open doors to questions that can be answered. And one that is very high priority at this time. How are we going to respond? If there are some people killed in our own country. Because we're the great Satan. Are we going to be able with gentleness and respect respond to people without becoming angry and bitter and our temperature rising to the nth degree about radical people and just respond with a Christ-likeness? The gal that I mentioned earlier at the beginning of my message who had a different view of sexuality and just taking a stand and then being asked some questions, just being able to answer with gentleness and respect. The guy or the gal on the job who does not lamblast the boss and is not critical and tearing the boss or the company down, but rather just does their work day in and day out. And the other people poke fun and say, oh, you're just brown-nosing, you know, and so on. Why are you like that? Being ready to give an answer. We live in this culture, live well, live godly. People ask questions, respond with gentleness and respect that displays God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, in some ways, it's hard to identify with this passage for us as we live in this country because we're not being tortured for our faith. We're not dying for our faith. May we grasp that you're calling us to live in obedience to you, to have a hope that is beyond the present. That makes a difference in how we respond to what unbelievers fear, pain, death, loss of things, loss of property, rejection, 
loss of money. May our hope be set on the future so that our responses at home, on the job, to a friend, to a neighbor, to other drivers, to our government, reflects your grace. May that in turn open doors of opportunity to share Christ because people wonder why we live the way we do and why we respond as we do. And for those who are employers and employees, students and teachers in their daily life, may they live and respond in such a way that Your grace is evident. And on believers notice. And I know last night, Father, someone made a comment to me in passing about someone sitting here this morning about their work. And I just found it interesting that that person made the comment because they heard comments from others about how this individual responds on the job and how they work. Father, that's living out this passage. That news, if you want to call it that, about the individual spread just because they're being obedient to you. So may we see, Father, that Peter's talking about where we are in day-by-day living. Setting apart Christ as Lord, not compromising your word, letting the Spirit work within us. And then letting you open doors of opportunity. So may, may we recognize them, Father. May we not think we have to have so many opportunities in a given week or month, but be faithful day by day with Christ as Lord. Thank you and praise you for those sitting here this morning that are striving to live in sensitivity to you. Encourage them, build them up. And may they have the sensitivity to recognize open doors that you give them, questions that people may ask, counsel that people may seek, or someone just sharing an observation of how they respond in certain situations. Use us as a body, Father, to be ambassadors in our world. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.